God's peace and his mercy be upon you on this day. Through God our Father and the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ, amen. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day as the Epiphany season draws to a close and we get ready for Lent and Holy Week. So prepare our hearts and minds for this season. It's come early, Lord, but uh, we are ready. We ask you to help us get ready and uh, to uh, shine the light of your love to all whom we encounter. In your name we pray, amen. Well, I uh, hope you enjoyed the uh, singing the Alleluia's and all that, because this is the last Sunday we're doing that for, you know, at least until uh, the beginning of April, right? Because it's Transfiguration Sunday. The Transfiguration is a momentous event in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Since the time of Martin Luther, it's been celebrated distinctively by Lutherans on the last Sunday before Ash Wednesday. It's supposed to be a festival day, right? The pyramids are white. There are hymns specifically about it. It's the most significant showing or revealing act of Jesus to any of his disciples before his death and resurrection. Yet with all of that, I find Transfiguration Sunday to be the most baffling and perplexing one to preach on. Today is my 15th time preaching on the transfiguration of Jesus. Unless Pastor Walt or Pastor Rich did it once or twice, I can't remember. Nevertheless, for me, what does one do with this? You know, so Jesus did this remarkable thing that's hard to understand, hard to, under, hard to understand why he, what he said about it, you know, it's hard to understand for what purpose it was. The disciples are baffled by it. And Jesus doesn't explain it very well. But if you go to any Lutheran church this morning, chances are you're going to hear the preacher say something along the lines that the light of God's grace and love was shining brightly in Jesus on his transfiguration. The light of God's grace and love will shine most brightly when Jesus ushers in his eternal kingdom. And because of that, Jesus lights up our lives. Fantastic, isn't it? If I were to look through all my old sermons these past 14 years, I bet that's roughly what I've said every Transfiguration Sunday or something close to it. It's the Lutheran sermon style, right? Jesus is this, and Jesus has done that. And because Jesus is this, and Jesus has done that, you and I are this and that. Amen. Jesus is light. Jesus shone brightly on the mountain. And because Jesus is light and shone brightly on his transfiguration, his light shines bright in you. Something like that. Wonderful. Are you feeling it? I didn't think so. I'm not either, as much as some of you, maybe. It's been a hard few months for many in our congregation. We've been experiencing an increase in illness and death among some of our relatives and friends. All of that, coupled with the usual stuff we have to deal with that we'd rather not, and it might seem like any old day today. In fact, how many of you came in here this morning thinking, 
Transfiguration Sunday. I mean, I've heard people come in and mutter, oh, yeah, Transfiguration Sunday, I forgot. Yeah. Well, except it's not any old Sunday, right? The Super Bowl this afternoon. Like most of my colleagues out there today, I could, for the 15th time, tell you Jesus is Lord and God over all because he showed himself to be so on the mountain when he was changed. Or maybe I can bring some new insight by mentioning that the mountain that this happened on could have been Mount Hermon at the very northern tip of Galilee. There was a temple honoring Zeus at the foot of Mount Hermon, along with Pan's Grotto and other pagan places of worship. And some think Jesus transfigured himself on Mount Hermon to symbolically stand on these pagan temples and show himself to be the one true God. Interesting. But I don't know how helpful any of that is to you. There's also the understanding that Jesus showed himself to be the end of the line of prophets by having Moses and Elijah there with him. You know, that's interesting too, but it, that brings up more questions perhaps than it answers. For instance, if Jesus is showing himself to be the end of the line of the prophets, and Moses and Elijah are there to pass the baton on to Jesus, then why aren't the other prophets and forerunners there with him? Like Noah and Abraham, David, Jeremiah. What about Adam? You think you'd, you'd start with him, and then all the other guys lined up on the top of the mountain there. There are many in, other insights to the transfiguration, and I've probably been over most of them before, but maybe there's one more thing I can squeeze out of this, something I haven't talked about before in this text, and that is the disciples were terrified. Terrified of what they saw. In what way, though, do you think? Like they'd seen a monster or a ghost? They'd already seen their fair share of demoniacs, and they had seen G Jesus do some supernatural things, like miraculously healing people and turning water into wine and casting out demons. So, what was so terrifying about Jesus becoming bright and shiny, talking with two of the most important figures in the history of Israel who are known to have been dead for many hundreds of years? One commentary I found in my study goes like this. Peter did not rightly understand what he was witnessing. Well, no kidding. Uh, this doesn't do a whole lot to explain why he was terrified. I thought maybe there's something lost in the translation, so I looked it up. In the original language, Peter was ekphabai, ekphaboi, actually, he was exceedingly afraid and didn't know what to say. The English translation in your uh, ESV printing here in the folder, it's a good one. Exceedingly afraid, terrified. It seems very apparent that Peter, what Peter saw was frightening. I suppose if you and I had been there and seen Jesus display his divine nature in a way closer to his full glory, we would be 
ekpha boy, exceedingly afraid as well. Ultimately, though, what would we have to fear? What did Peter have to fear? Nothing. In the presence of God and his glory, we would have more to rejoice in than fear. Perhaps we're given more insight here on the immediate human reaction to the divine. Peter was stunned to the point of fear and nervous speech, even though he had nothing to fear. Nothing was going to happen to him on that mountain. There wasn't going to be any bandits or robbers going to come up and assault him. There wasn't going to be any foreign armies marching by, wipe them out. Jesus was there. Everything was safe. Not so much for us. I wouldn't think any one of you have been stunned to the point of being exceedingly afraid in the presence of the divine one. In a dream, maybe? I don't know. This is not a usual occurrence for us in the time of the church. But we are exceedingly afraid of other things. Notice in the word ekphaboi that Mark uses is the root word fob, or where we get the word phobia in the English. One summer, I took some of our youth to Camp Lutherwood for confirmation week. One of them was exceedingly afraid of every insect in that place, no matter how small to the point where this person could barely function. Another was exceedingly afraid to get into the canoe for fear of flipping over and falling in. You know, there are phobias. And there are regular fears, too. We may be exceedingly afraid to go to the doctor's office to find out why he wants to talk to us about our test results. We may be exceedingly afraid of the phone call from our siblings about mom and dad's health. We may be exceedingly afraid of what will happen in our nation's upcoming election. We may be exceedingly afraid in general, but we have nothing to fear because Jesus is with you and you are safe. One difference, though, between you and Peter is Jesus is not saying to you, don't tell anyone about me or what you've seen. Because what he said to Peter that would happen has happened. Son of man has risen from the dead. You can tell people now. And we are about to revisit that whole time of Jesus' death and resurrection again, starting this Wednesday. In the midst of you and I being exceedingly afraid of sin's effects and consequences in our lives, let us also take refuge with Jesus, our Lord, who has shown himself to be a very present help in every kind of trouble and circumstance. He will be who he will be for you. We mustn't make him into something we want him to be. He is who he is. He is our maker, our redeemer, our rock and our salvation. Comforts us with his words and deeds. He always listens. He always answers with promises. You are his for eternity. Suffer though you may now. 
We have a sure and certain hope of life without fear, pain, and death when we are raised from the grave on the last day. When Sunday the Transfiguration comes around next year, may you and I be able to stand confidently and say with Peter, Lord, it is good that we are here. Amen.